Hello, this is Diksha from Newslaundry.com, bringing you your daily dose of news. Today is Monday, the 8th of March. India recorded more than 18,000 COVID-19 cases in the last 24 hours and the total COVID tally now stands at over 1.12 crore. Less than 100 deaths linked to the virus were reported in the same period. The nationwide death toll inched closer to the 1,58,000 mark. After witnessing a steady drop in cases, the country is once again experiencing a spike in infections. Union Health Minister Harshwardhan, however, dismissed the concerns about the situation. He said that India was quote-unquote in the end game of the pandemic. Covid cases continued to rise in Maharashtra as the state reported over 11,000 cases in the last 24 hours. This was the highest single-day count in the state in nearly five months since October 16th. Mumbai recorded more than 1,300 COVID-19 cases and five deaths in the same period. This was also the highest number of cases reported in the city in a day since October last year. Meanwhile, authorities in Aurangabad district yesterday announced a partial lockdown from March 11 to April 4 to contain the spread of the virus. Civic officials said that the district will observe complete lockdown on weekends. Under the vaccination drive in the country, more than 2.09 crore people have been vaccinated so far. Out of this, over 66,000 were given the vaccine yesterday. Now for a brief update on global COVID numbers. COVID-19 has infected more than 116 million people in the world, while over 2.59 million people have lost their lives to it. More than 66 million people, meanwhile, have recovered from the infection so far. Farmer protests against the central government's farm laws have been going on along the borders of Delhi for more than 100 days now. Yesterday, a 48-year-old farmer, Rajbir Singh, from Haryana's Hisar, died near the Tikri border, allegedly by suicide. His body was discovered hanging from a tree. The police also recovered a suicide note in which the farmer purportedly said that he was taking the extreme step due to the frustration over the farm laws. Police said that it appeared to be a case of suicide and an inquiry was underway. Rajbir is the eighth person to have died allegedly by suicide at the protest site demanding the repeal of the farm laws. Meanwhile, Bharatiya Kisan Union leader Rakesh Tiket said yesterday that he will hold a meeting with the farmers in Kolkata on March 13th. The scheduled meeting comes at a time when the assembly election campaigns by political parties are in full swing in West Bengal. Tiket said he will ask the farmers of the state if they were facing any difficulties. He added, and I quote, The government has gone to Kolkata. They will return in one and a half month. We are also going there. We will meet the government there only, unquote. In a related update, India Today reported today that gunshots were reportedly fired in the air last night near the farmer protest at Singhu border. It is still unclear who fired the shots. According to eyewitness accounts, three rounds were fired from a car which then fled the scene. The reported shooting took place hours before thousands of women farmers gathered at Singhu to celebrate International Women's Day. The Rajya Sabha today was adjourned till 1pm after Congress MPs shouted slogans against rising fuel prices in the country. Today was the first day of the second phase of the budget session in the parliament. Shortly before adjourning the House, Rajya Sabha Chairperson Venkaya Naidu warned against unruly behaviour. He said that he did not want to take quote-unquote any drastic action on the first day. Meanwhile, Trinamool Congress today wrote to the Lok Sabha Speaker Om Birla and Rajya Sabha Chairman Naidu seeking adjournment of the second leg of the budget session. The party cited the upcoming Assembly elections as the reason for its request. The Hindustan Times reported that various other parties too made similar requests. The second half of the budget session, which is supposed to end on the 8th of April, coincides with the approaching Assembly elections in five states. 
West Bengal, Tamil Nadu, Assam, Kerala and Puducherry will go to polls from March 27th. In a pre-election update from West Bengal, a campaign event in Kolkata yesterday which was addressed by Prime Minister Modi, BJP General Secretary Kailash Vijayawardena briefly became a reporter for ABP News. ABP News correspondent Vikas Baduria invited Vijayawardena to report on the rally for his channel. The BJP leader promptly accepted and gave a rundown of the event saying that his party would bring change in the state. The politician's reporting stint got Twitter a buzz, garnering diverse reactions from the Hindutva party's supporters, critics and other people. Mamta Banerjee yesterday led a padyatra or foot march in the state's Siliguri city protesting against the hike in fuel prices and cooking gas. Speaking at the rally, she responded to the allegations of extortion made by the BJP and other opposition parties against the TMC. She said, and I quote, "Isn't it extortion to sell off railways, oil companies, steel authority of India Limited, and Coal India?" Unquote. In Tamil Nadu yesterday, DMK chief M K Stalin announced that if voted to power, his party will generate 10 lakh new jobs each year. The leader added that the DMK will ensure that the state's economy expands to above 35 lakh crore and its per capita income increases to rupees 4 lakh per annum. The DMK has formed a seven-party alliance including the Congress for the upcoming polls. Elections in Tamil Nadu will be held on April 6th. In his opinion piece on newslaundry.com, Snigdendu Bhattacharya writes about identity politics in West Bengal. He writes how political parties are urging various sections of the populace to believe that they have their best interests at heart. In the state's districts bordering Bangladesh, where the population is dominated by Dalit refugee communities, the BJP and RSS have been proclaiming that only Narendra Modi and Amit Shah stood by them. In the same areas, the Trinamool Congress and left parties have been telling people that they will complicate matters for themselves if they fall into BJP's traps. To know more about how the political battle is playing out in the election-bound state, go to newslaundry.com and read the report titled "Coating Communities: How TMC and BJP Are Battling It Out Over Identity Politics." A sub-inspector in Rajasthan's Alwar was arrested for allegedly raping a woman who had gone to the police station to file a dowry complaint. According to an Indian Express report from today, the woman alleged that she was raped between 2nd and 4th of March in a room where the accused lived. A first information report in connection with the alleged crime was filed yesterday. Alwar superintendent of police told the newspaper and I quote, "Back in 2018, she had filed a case of dowry harassment against her husband, which she later settled. But now according to her, the woman's husband wanted her to get divorced and she was not agreeing." Unquote. The woman had gone to the police station in connection with this case. In the context of the rape complaint, the official said and I quote, "After we came to know about the incident, An FIR was lodged on Sunday under Section 376 of the Indian Penal Code, and the accused was arrested. He is in police custody. A phone recording has also been presented by the woman, which has prima facie verified her accusations. Unquote. The accused has been suspended, and disciplinary proceedings against him have been initiated. Additionally, authorities are considering taking action against the station house officer. Commenting on the center's new digital content rules, Union Minister Ravi Shankar Prasad said yesterday that internet imperialism by a select few is unacceptable. He said and I quote, "If the internet is a global phenomenon, it has become so because it has empowered people across." Unquote. On February 25th, the government had announced a set of guidelines to regulate social media companies, OTT streaming platforms and digital news platforms. The center said that these rules aim to curb the spread of fake news and regulate all forms of media. 
The rules require digital and social media platforms to disclose their ownership details, appoint a grievance redressal officer, and determine the originator of fake news. The rules have drawn criticism from multiple digital news platforms who have said that some specifics of the rules go against the fundamental principles of news. Prasad claimed that these rules are in the form of an architecture that the intermediaries should themselves follow rather than the government mandating it through law. Prasad also addressed concerns that the new guidelines curb free speech and criticism on the internet. He said that those who give gyan on social media through criticism must have the courage to verify themselves for authentication of their quote-unquote geniusness. Prasad added and I quote, Significant social media platforms should have a voluntary user verification mechanism and some markers to identify a verified account so that those not willing to verify can also be known, unquote. He added that the new rules were aimed at quote-unquote checking abuse and misuse of social media. He also took a jibe at IT companies without naming anyone, saying that they should respect local ideas, cultures, traditions and sentiments. The centre's new rules for digital news, which union ministers say are aimed to regulate quote-unquote fake news and lies and rumours, have not come out of the blue. A contentious report prepared by a group of ministers last year has recently come to light. The aim of the report was to quote-unquote neutralise independent media. The report appears to be a possible precursor to the digital content rules introduced by the government on February 25th. The report was curated by union ministers and ministers of state who consulted a set of working journalists and former journalists close to the current government. In his latest report on newslaundry.com, Ayush Tiwari spoke to some of the media persons whose purported inputs have been mentioned in the report. One of the media persons present at the meeting told Ayush that the suggestions ascribed to him in the GOM report were ludicrous. Ayush's report also details what other media persons had to say about the said GOM report and the supposed remarks in it. To know more about this, go to newslaundry.com and read the report titled Bogus Quotes and a Misrepresented Meeting Journalists Disown Government's Report on Setting the Narrative Listeners, at a time when the government is reportedly planning to neutralise independent media platforms, it becomes all the more important that you, the public, support free and independent media. News Laundry is a free and independent media platform and we are not funded by the government and corporates. That is why we can bring you factual reports without pushing agendas. We run on the support of our subscribers who pay to keep us afloat. So if you aren't a subscriber already, now is the time to join the movement to keep news free and independent. Go to newslaundry.com and hit that subscribe button on the top right-hand corner of the website. Lowest subscription starts at 300 rupees a month only. Pay to keep news free. Activist Dinesh Kalahali yesterday withdrew his complaint filed against former Karnataka minister Ramesh Jarkiholi. The minister has been accused of sexually harassing a woman in return for a government job. The activist wrote a letter to the Cabin Park police station yesterday to withdraw his complaint. Dinesh's lawyer said, and I quote, If the cloth falls on a thorn or a thorn falls on a cloth, only the cloth tears. His aim was to provide the girl justice, but on social media, her image was being spoilt. To stop this from happening further, he has decided to withdraw his case, unquote. A video clip that was circulated on social media and local channels showed Jarkiholi with a woman. It is alleged that the woman was enticed by Jarkiholi with a government job offer at the Karnataka Power Transmission Corporation Limited. In the wake of this controversy, the minister resigned from the cabinet on 3rd March, denying all claims. 
now for some international updates. A series of explosions at a military barracks in Equatorial Guinea yesterday killed at least 20 people and left more than 500 injured. The country's president, Theodoro Obiang, said that the blasts were caused by negligence of a military unit in charge of strong explosives, dynamite and ammunition at the military camp. He added that the explosives caught fire due to stubble burning by farmers in their fields. The leader informed that the blast caused damage in almost all houses and buildings in the Bata city. Local news footage showed buildings burned and flattened in a wide radius around the camp in the economic capital Bata. A thick plume of black smoke was seen rising into the sky. Efforts were underway to rescue people trapped under the debris. The country's health ministry warned in a tweet that many residents could still be buried under the wreckage. Bata is the largest city in the Central African nation of Equatorial Guinea, with around 800,000 of the country's 1.4 million people residing there. That's all the news we have for you today. Have a great day or a good night, depending on where you're listening from. See you tomorrow. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And subscribe to our YouTube channel.